No. And we're viewing through a glass darkly. God, if you had not come looking for us, we just never would have conceived a God who loves us, who is so good to us, that you would provide for us in Christ not only forgiveness of sin, but invitation into your presence. Father, there's no way to say thank you for that adequately. But God, we want to start by saying here's our life. Please use us to bring you glory. Father, thank you that like the words of that song, you provide for us before we even know we have a need. Thank you that you have provided all our needs, including rest, before we knew the concept, much less recognized our own need. God, we ask that you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to see you today. It's good to be back with you. We we had a great trip. Don and I went to uh, Washington State, went up north of Seattle, and and uh, Shekinah and Christopher met us there, and then we drove to L.A., you know, just an afternoon jaunt, down the <laughs> Pacific Coast Highway and had a great time visit with some friends there. And then went to Colorado, and Jonathan and Tori met us there, and we had a great time in Colorado. And we were turning, we were going to turn left to come home, and my aunt passed away in St. Louis, and so we turned right. And um, she was my mother's sister. She married my dad's brother, so we were more, more related than is normal. And um, <laughs> she, Aunt Doris, married when she was 15, which is a family tradition she did not encourage being passed on. When she was 17, had a daughter who was blind and deaf. And at 18, 19, 20 years old, taught that deaf child to speak. And it was, um, she was amazing. Had two sons, both of them pastors. And um, so it, it was great to be able to share in that. Uh, so we were gone a little bit longer than we had anticipated and longer than is normal for us. But, but it was a really good time and we're glad to be home. Today we're celebrating this weekend the 4th. That's why we're only having one service and so many are gone today. We need to remember to pray for them. But um, we're celebrating the 4th of July. You know, the big day was actually the 2nd. That was the day they ratified the uh, Declaration of Independence that we were going to declare independence. Uh, they argued about wording until the 4th and then came up with the wording on the 4th and then signed it over the next several weeks. The, the painting by John Trumbull of everyone signing the Declaration of Independence, that never occurred. But it makes for a great painting. And um, uh, so those... 56 men who pledged to one another their lives, their fortunes, and the sacred honor have created a place that we have been able to enjoy our lifetime, uh, the freedom of worship and the freedom to serve God. And so we have a lot to be thankful for. Amen? Isn't it nice to have Robert back with all of his useless information? <laughs> well, yay for useless information. Anyway... Um, we're going to be looking in Exodus chapter 20 today. We're continuing in our series on the Ten Commandments. And since there are Ten Commandments, we're doing this in 14 weeks. Makes sense to us. It's the new math. And uh, today we're on the uh, Fourth Commandment, which is the commandment concerning rest, concerning Sabbath. And um, we want to look at what, what God has for us in this. Look there in uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 and following. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now the fourth and fifth commandments stand out in the Ten Commandments because these are the only two which are not prohibitive, but they're they're ordaining something. They are a command to do something rather than to stay away from something. In this one we're commanded, uh, he commanded the Jews to remember the Sabbath day. And in the fifth one he said, do the positive, the active thing of honor your father and your mother. And so these two kind of stand out. And in, in instant a day of rest, a day of Sabbath, God did something for his people that is completely foreign to the rest of the world. We don't see it in any other Near Eastern culture. We don't see it in any other religion of the time. We don't see it with any other people. We don't see it in nature. (laughs) God said to his people, I want you to set aside one day in seven that will be specifically dedicated toward me. It has absolutely no parallel anywhere else in the world. And David said in Psalm 147, he declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. This was a commandment given to God's people, the Jews. It was completely anomalous for his people. And up prior to this time, no one had practiced this concept. Now, the closest would come to it is in Exodus 16. When he said, I want you to gather on the sixth day, I want you to gather enough manna to last you through the seventh day also. Well, there's some who didn't do that. So they just gathered enough on the sixth day for the sixth day. And then on the seventh day, they went hungry. Prior to that time, there was no, no mention of this kind of concept. They had never heard of a Sabbath before. And so when God institutes the Sabbath here in Exodus 20, this is a complete new introduction to his people where he is giving them a gift. <laughs> he is giving them a gift of rest. Now, in this verse, in this commandment, not only does he give them rest, but first off, he affirms work. He said, for six days you will work. That's the first part. He affirms work in this commandment. And then he says, on the seventh, you'll not do any work. He institutes rest. Work is as vital to the, to the purposes of God as rest is. Arthur W. Pink said, who, he who never works is unfitted for worship. Work is to pave the way for worship as worship is to fit us for work. Now listen, work is not punishment. Work is not a restriction. God's not mad at you, so he made you go to work. Work is a blessing that God has given to his people to instill purpose. And enjoyment in us. Work was prescribed for us long before the fall. In Genesis 2.15 it says that the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Work is not punishment. And if you look at work as punishment, it's not because God's creation is bad. It's because you might have a bad job. (laughs) Go get another job. And in the New Testament we're, we're enjoined to work. And to find joy in our work. In 2 Thessalonians, he said, even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, don't let him eat. (laughs) It's real simple. 
God did not institute a welfare system. He called us into a purpose with him. Now look, he worked for six days and he invites us into that work. And then on the seventh day, he ceased from work. And he invites us into that cessation. Now, it really isn't the word rest. It really is the word cease. He stopped working. He invites us into that out of our work, which God gives to us. Work is not punishment. The word word vocation means the spiritual calling from a spiritual voice. That's, That's what it means. And three times in Ecclesiastes, he tells us, if you can find work and enjoyment in your work, this is a gift from God. The brother that we visited with in L.A. this past month, he was, he was in the church we pastored in Cedar 30-something years ago. And, and he said, Robert, do you, enjoy, do you enjoy pastoring? I said, I love it. He said, and there I was, 20-something years old, and he was older than that. And he said, listen to me. Be thankful for your job you enjoy because a lot of people don't. I've remembered that. I've remembered that. Uh, to, to enjoy your work. Three times Ecclesiastes tells us this is a gift from God. Now, a couple of interesting things about this, this command. First off, in Exodus, he, he ties the command to rest with God's work of creation. God worked in creation for six days and then he ceased from that. Over in a parallel passage in Deuteronomy chapter 5... He ties keeping the Sabbath with their deliverance from Egypt. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 5.15. You shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So in Exodus, he ties it to creation. In Deuteronomy, he ties it to deliverance. And what God's telling them is, I created you. I delivered you. You're mine. I'm telling you what to do. Take this day and remember me in it. So what we want to do this morning, I want to look at Sabbath in terms of three topics. First off, we want to look at what is its intention? What did God have in mind when he instituted Sabbath? Secondly, we want to look for a little bit at its corruption. And then thirdly, we're going to look at its application. What does it mean for us today? So first off, what is the intention that God had for it? As we think about Sabbath, God created nothing out of need. He created nothing because he had a need of it. He did not need the earth or the sea or the animals or the air. He did not need birds. He did not need humanity. He did not create us because he had a need. I like what Rick Warren said. God is love. He did not need us, but he wanted us. And that is the most amazing thing. Boy, that's a good line, isn't it? And on the seventh day when he ceased, that's what Sabbath really means. That carries the implication of rest, but he ceased. He shows us how to turn it off, (laughs) how to take a break. And then that he created rest, something which, again, he did not need. How many, of you, how many of you wish you could just turn it off? That's what Sabbath is about. And God commanded them, I want you to turn it off. And in that turning it off, direct all of your attention toward me. Now, Revelation 4.11 says it was his will to create, but it was not out of need that he created So what is the intention of Sabbath? Miles Monroe said that 
To learn the purpose of a thing, you must look into the mind of the Creator. What was in the mind of God when He created Sabbath? He created Sabbath as much as He created the heavens and the earth. What was in His mind when He created it? Did he, did he need to take a break? Did He need play and pray on Thursdays? Is He OCD and just has to count to seven on everything? Why did He create it? Why did He... Why did he create anything if he does not need the things he created? Why did he create them? And friends, I would submit to you that he created everything that he created, including Sabbath and those seven days, not for his own benefit, but for us. Before we, Did you hear the words of that last song that Sean led us in? The, the, he provided our needs before we even knew that we had them. He didn't, he didn't create humanity until the sixth day. Wouldn't that have been a kind of kooky thing to create humanity on day two and you don't get sunshine until day four? That wouldn't have made any sense. You don't get, you don't get the air that you need to breathe until later after you've been, that, that wouldn't work. Everything that he created, it was not based in his need. He created what he did because he knew we would have a need. He didn't need the earth. We need the earth. We need the earth for place and provision. He didn't need the sea. We need it for convection and moisture. We need the animals for food and for clothing. We need the birds for inspiration. Birds fly over the rainbow. They carry seeds from place to place. They keep car washes in business. We need birds. Jesus doesn't need birds. Why did he create them? So that we could look up at them and say... Wow! We can stand on the precipice of the Grand Canyon and lean over dangerously until we see those condors down there with a seven-foot wingspan and say, Wow! And God punched himself and said, Watch this. They're going to love this one. And he did it for us. And we are the ones who need companionship. He didn't need our companionship. We're the ones who needed it. He's the one who looked at us and said, it's not good for man to be alone. But God, the Father, the, the, the Trinity was already complete. They had no need of fellowship because they had the completeness of the Trinity in themselves. And yet for us, he created all of these things. And he did not need rest, but he gave it to us. It's like the parent who lays down next to the kid when it's time for a nap to, to lull the kid to sleep, to teach the kid. This is what it looks like to lay down and take a rest-a-period. That's what Nana's first grade teacher called it. We're going to take a rest-a-period now. It's not because the parent needs it most of the time. Why did he, what was, what was his intention? Why did he create it? Mark 2, 27, Jesus tells us the reason. The Sabbath was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. And when you look in our passage in verse 10, he created it as a gift with a specific function. Verse 10 says, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's not to be a time of slothful inactivity. It is purposeful, it is intentional, deliberate. To commune with God. To cease from our work is the first half. To deliberately, intentionally seek fellowship with God, that is the completion of it. That's the second half. And friends, we cease from labor for the purpose of not being distracted away from the important by the urgent. There's always going to be a jangling key somewhere to distract us from the important. And God says, no, let's give you Sabbath so that you can get things retooled. Get, get your perspective back that 
He really is all that matters. It's this dedication of time, which in verse 10 is called to the Lord your God, which makes it a holy thing. In Exodus 31, 15, it calls it a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Now look there in verse 8. It's interesting in our passage in verse 8, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But the parallel passage in Deuteronomy says, observe or keep the Sabbath day to keep it holy. One appears, it talks in past tense terms of remember what happened in the past. And the other one appears to be looking forward, observe, be sure and keep it. I like what one author said when they said the first three days of the week were spent remembering the Sabbath past and the blessings it brought. The next three days of the week were spent anticipating the Sabbath just ahead and the refreshment it would provide. Sabbath, therefore, lays claim to every day of the week. Friends, this is, this is a precursor. This is looking forward to. This is talking in advance about what Sabbath is for us. It lays claim to every day of the week. And as we look at what was God's intention, God's intention was to provide rest for his people as they sit, as they fellowship with him. First off, what was his intention? To provide a break from the urgent so that they could concentrate on the important. Let's look secondly at its corruption. Turn to um, Matthew chapter 12. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Here we have God has created a gift for his people so that in rest they could experience his presence. And by the time the Pharisees had gotten done with it, they had ballooned to so many laws and regulations that no one person could get their mind around the whole thing. Kind of like the U.S. tax law, you know. There's just so much of it. There's just nobody can understand this. God said, do not work on this day and get deliberate rest. But by the time the Pharisees had finished with it, there were 39 prohibited acts with hundreds of subcategories to help define work. And really this is, you know, when you think about it, it is a fair question. Because the concern comes up of, if it says cease from your work, what's work? What, what would define work? That's a fair question. That's a legitimate question. But what the Pharisees did was they started putting rules and regulations on it that brought death to the thing rather than using it as an opportunity to sit and receive life from the Father. And so they said, well, let's, let's define work. Work is anything more than lifting the ha- weight of half an olive. Ashton, do you have a pen in your hand? Oh, boy, you're in trouble now. It weighs more than the weight of half an olive. You can't wear spiky shoes. can't wear shoes with spikes on the bottom of them to get grip and all that up and down terrain they lived in because that would be considered work. You cannot write two or more letters. You cannot erase two or more letters. You cannot tie a shoe. You cannot untie a shoe. I guess you're supposed to all wear boots or Velcro. can't light a fire. You can't extinguish a fire. If your house catches on fire, see ya. The Pharisees had devised rules for everything, but in all of their rules, they had come up with ways that they could get, what? Around those rules. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 23 when he says, they tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move one finger to help them. 
They made rules. They, they came up with ways to get around their own rules. Here's you an example. Your Sabbath day's journey, it was, it was the distance you were allowed to travel on a Sabbath day was 3,000 feet. Well, what they would do was, you're not supposed to cook food on Sabbath. So they would cook their food the day before Sabbath, and then they would take it 2,999 feet away from the house. Because wherever your food is, that's your common space. You can only go 3,000 feet, so they would take it to the outer limits of that. They would plant it at somebody else's house. And then on Sabbath, now they can go not only to that house, but they've extended their route another 3,000 feet so that they have doubled their Sabbath journey. They, they, they found ways to get around it. And yet, if anyone else tried to break any of the rules, they were quick, man, they were quick to condemn them. They had taken something that was holy and dedicated to the Lord. It was given to them for the purpose of restoring strength and relationship, and they had reduced it to a matter of rules and regulations. And friends, rules are about control. And the more rules you have, whether in a political system or religious system or with your employees, the more control you are trying to gain. And Jesus was looking for a relationship. Over in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus had a run-in with the um, Pharisees. Look at that passage, Matthew chapter 12. And it just happened to take place on a Sabbath. In verse 9, it says, He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, why did they ask him that? Were they really just wanting to get his opinion so they could regulate their lifestyle? No. They asked him that, verse 10, so that they might accuse him. He said to them, verse 11, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? This is called a work of mercy. This was allowed. If your sheep is in dire straits, you have permission to get the ox out of the ditch. The first thing to do is provide it fodder and take care of it, bring food and water down to it in the ditch. But if it's going to die in the ditch, then you can get it out. That's called a work of mercy. You were also allowed work of necessity. It was against the law, against Sabbath law, to swim on Sabbath. Because that's work. It's too much energy being expended. But if you're walking along a trail, the trail gives way, and you find yourself in a deep lake, you're allowed to swim. Either that or you drown for the glory of Jesus. That's called a work of necessity. And then you had the work of piety. He's already talked about this up in verse 5. The priests work on Sabbath. That's a work of piety. That's allowed. Well, what about healing? Is that allowed on the Sabbath? You can get a sheep out of the ditch. Verse 12, how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. <clears throat> then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. You know what's funny to me? I just think this is comical. It's against the law to heal on the Sabbath. But somehow, it's okay to plot murder on the Sabbath. <laughs> They're hysterical and they don't get it. It's to be a day set aside for holy pursuits and contemplation. And the Pharisees used it as a time to plot Murder and how to fulfill it. They had thoroughly corrupted God's intention 
of the Sabbath. So first off, his intention was to provide a break from the urgent so they could concentrate on the important. Secondly, the corruption, the institution of rules to give Pharisees power and control. Let's look thirdly at its application. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4 for a minute. Hebrews chapter 4. If the Sabbath is such a big deal, which warranted the death penalty... If you profaned it. Now, profaning it was different than uh, doing work on the Sabbath, according to Exodus 31. Those two are two separate things. If you profane it, that warrants the death penalty. If it is such a big deal, it warrants the death penalty. Then why do we go to church on Sunday, which is not the Sabbath, instead of Saturday, which is the Jewish Sabbath? There are six reasons. There are six reasons that we go to church on Sunday. We're going to list them for you here so you can write them down if you want to. The first one is Scripture repeatedly, Exodus 31, Nehemiah 9, Ezekiel 20, refers to the Sabbath as a covenant, sign of covenant between God and the Jews. That's the first reason. This is a covenant between God and the Jewish people. The second reason we go to church on Sunday is because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. It became called the Lord's Day as a result of that. He he rose from the dead on Sunday. You can have it right? Any day you rise from the dead from, you can have it, okay? That's a rule now, okay? We're trying to gain control, okay? Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. The third reason we go to church on Sunday is because he he appeared to his disciples on on Sunday, the first day of the week. Repeatedly we're told this, that not only the disciples in John chapter 20, but also those on the road to Emmaus and others. He he appeared to them on, on the first day of the week. The fourth reason we go to church on Sunday is because the disciples, it appears, they met regularly on Sunday. They went to synagogue on Sabbath, but in order to institute and to talk about and encourage one another with Jesus, they met again on the Lord's Day, which was Sunday. The fifth reason we go to church on Sunday is over in 1 Corinthians 16. Paul said, on the first day of the week, I want you to take up an offering. That was just the instruction. When you gather, when you do this normal thing, it just seems to have been normative for the early church to have met on Sunday. And the sixth reason we go to church on Sunday is because in Revelation 1.10, it says that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. That's talking about Sunday. It was just their practice. Those are the reasons that we go to church on Sunday. Now, how did Saturday get to be the Sabbath? That's the interesting thing to me in the first place. You know, several hundred years ago, there's this dude named Archbishop Usher. And he decided he was going to figure out when earth was created. Well, he found out. He figured it out. He worked hard. He was doing his best. He's not trying to be a weirdo or anything. I mean, he's trying to serve God. He figured out that the earth was created on a Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock. You're not going to miss the price is right. Okay? Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock. Well, if that's the case, then Monday should be the Sabbath. Monday's the last day of the week. And then instead of TGIF, it would be TGIS. Well, that'd be a weird name for a restaurant. So, how Saturday... (laughs) Robert had a time away. If Saturday is the Sabbath and we go to church on Sunday, how does this commandment apply to us? Or what are we supposed to do with it? Are we to walk away and, and just say, well, it, it's not for us? Or, or how does the study of this thing apply to our lives? We obviously certainly do not want to corrupt it and no, we don't want to ignore it. But friends, the reality is there are ten commandments. Would you like to guess how many of them are referred to in the New Testament? 
Nine. (laughs) And this is the one that isn't. Because God expands this commandment. He expands the rest that he is offering to his children. And he does this with other commandments. As we're going to find when he says, do not murder. Do not uh, kill. uh, Do not commit adultery. Jesus takes those and says, now look, this is what you think murder is. Let me expand your definition of murder. He expands the definition of murder to anger, insults, and name-calling over in Matthew chapter 5. John, over in 1 John 3, states categorically, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You mean I don't have to kill him in order to be a murderer? No, you don't. Welcome welcome to God's economy. In fact, Paul puts gossips and slanderers in the same category with murderers and haters of God in, in Romans 1. Jesus took these commands and he expanded them to what they really mean. It's not the taking away of someone's life that constitutes murder. It's not the physical act of having sex with someone other than your spouse that constitutes adultery. No, if you even think about that person in that way in your mind, you've committed adultery. If you lost after them in your heart, you've already committed adultery with them. Jimmy Carter admitted to having done that one and boy, he... Had some scathing comments as a result. Is Jesus really concerned about one day of the week? Or is there something deeper that he's inviting us into here? Is there something else he has already provided for us even before we knew we needed it? Friends, God's desire in the Exodus in taking his people out of Egypt was to provide them with rest. He wanted to provide them with a land of rest, a land where he would be their God. They would be his people. They would enjoy one another's fellowship. And they wandered in the wilderness. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because when it came time to take them in, after two years of wandering, they came to the south end of the promised land and and a bunch of them looked at it and said, whoa, we can't go in there. We don't have faith enough that God's going to get us in there. And God said, I'm going to kill every one of you in the desert and I'm going to raise up a group of people who will believe. And so for the next 38 years, a total of 40 years, they wandered in the desert until every one of them had dropped dead. And he tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, he's wanting to take them into rest. But look there in verse 8. Joshua took them in. They came over to the east side and they crossed the Jordan River and took the land. He says, but if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then... There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. It's not enough to say, well, we've entered the promised land. If Joshua had given them rest, he would not have talked about another day. But the author of Hebrews has already made reference to this in verse 3 when he said, we who have believed enter the rest. Friends, it's not a destination. It's not a location. It's not a day of the week. It's a, it's a place I inhabit. It's a, it's a place I live. I live in a place of rest. Where I don't have to answer every cell phone call. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful thing? To have a place of rest. And friends, God has invited that we share in that rest with Him. It's not limited to that one day of the week. 
where we're not allowed to cook food anymore. I've known people. Octavia Falwell, she was born in 1880. She cooked all of her food on Saturday, and then she just ate it cold on Sunday because we're not supposed to work on Sunday. When we pastored in Cedar, we, there was a church in St. George. We were going to get together with them and have a picnic and play softball. Oh, no. <laughs> no, we don't play softball on Sunday. We, we, we worship God on Sunday. We're going to go home and read our Bibles. If it has been reduced to a day of the week, then I'm afraid we've missed the point here. God has invited those who are going to live by faith to live with him in a place of perpetual rest in his presence. And it is based on those who have acted in faith. And it's always been this way with God. Friends, in Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by his faith. In Galatians chapter 3, it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It has always been for those who walk in and live by faith. And the friends, the rest that he invites you into is the rest which comes from no longer having to do or to be or to strive or to earn or try and gain peace. Rest is not something you can earn. It is something that is provided for us before we even knew we needed it. It's not something you can purchase because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will, what? Give you rest. Friends, it is a gift that is freely given, gladly given, provided before we knew we needed it. It's a rest from striving, from the labor, from the try, trying to be and to prove that we're good enough. It is resting in the testimony of Jesus when he was hanging on Calvary and said, it is what? Finished. It's done. Everything necessary, it's finished. And he invites us into that rest. Well, if I just work hard enough, then, then I'll be able to justify it. You might try and do that for your own benefit, but Jesus doesn't look at you and say that. You know, it's interesting when my kids, they'd be saving up for something. They, they'd find something they just couldn't live without, and they'd be saving up for it. And then at the last minute, I'd swoop in and buy it. They'd go back to the store, you know, counting their pennies, and it's gone. Oh, it's gone. Well, I bought it because I'm going to give it to them on their birthday or Christmas. And after I give it to them, birthday or Christmas, what do they do? They go down to the store and they look at the guy behind the counter and say, look, my mom, my dad bought this thing for me, but I just feel like I need to pay you something for it. I need to give you more money. I need to give you the money that I've been... Here, let me give you some money. Did they do that? Those are the ones that are still living in that home. That's nuts. It's crazy. We don't do that. Somehow we're able to receive a gift from the person sitting next to us and say, wow, thanks. But with God, we look at him and say, no, let me, let me work a little bit harder. Let me earn a little bit more and prove to you how good I am. Really? Friends, they didn't go back to the store and try to convince the person behind the counter they needed to give more payment for the gift. They just looked at it and said, wow, my mom, my dad, they like me. Yeah, we do. Love you and we like you. And Jesus does not tease us with rest only to demand that we turn around and earn it after all. He offers us salvation and he gives it to us freely 
to those who receive it by faith because He loves us and wants to have a relationship with us and for no other reason. Walked in the church, my aunt and uncle had pastored. My, from the time Aunt Doris was 18, she was a pastor's wife. And they retired last year, 64 years in ministry, 44 years at the same church. Walked in that church the other day for the funeral prelims and there's a sign hanging there that said, we don't confess to be forgiven. We confess because we are forgiven. Wow. To rest in his presence and just to be able to come to him and say, God, thank you for loving me. And friends, he invites us into his rest. To just come and sit with him and to realize in Psalm 16 that in your presence there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are joys, pleasures forevermore. Oh, that's talking about heaven. That's not talking about now. Friends, there is coming a day. There's coming a day and I'm looking forward to it. When I lay down that last time and I experience, my faith becomes sight and I experience his rest. I have anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'm looking forward to that day. But friends, to refuse to enter into his rest today because of a false decision, conclusion on my part that I have to prove I've earned it is to throw away the gift that he's offering to you. The gift of rest in his presence. Not one day a week, but every day of the week. That's his invitation. He has appointed a day there in Hebrews chapter 4. He has appointed a day for you to begin to experience his rest. And that day is today. It's today. You know, I rested pretty good in Jesus yesterday. I think I'm good to go for today. No! (laughs) Today. Well, you know, I have some sinning that I have yet to do, and you can only do it on Sunday evening, so I'm going to wait till Monday morning to get saved. No! Today, Hebrews 4, 7, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today is the day God has provided for us before we ever knew we had a need. Friends, he gave us air to breathe, water to drink, food to eat, an earth to live on, temperature that's just right most of the time. Everything we would need, he provided for it. Before we knew we had a need, before we knew it existed, these are called the mercies of God over in Romans chapter 12. And friends, it was before you knew you had a need for salvation, for rest, that God provided that also in the person of Jesus Christ when he died for us on the cross. Have you experienced forgiveness of sin through the forgiveness that comes by Christ's sacrifice? I want to end with this. Heard this recently, this is so simple and so clear and so good. You don't go to heaven because you're good. You don't go to hell because you're bad. Jesus came from heaven and he died on the cross for sins. Sins are done away with. Eternity isn't about sin, eternity is about Jesus. Do you know Jesus Christ? If you know Jesus, then when you die, you go to heaven. If you do not know Jesus Christ, then when you die, you go to hell. He defined eternity, he defined eternal life in John chapter 7 as this. This is eternal life that they know you, the Father, and the Son that you have sent. Do you know Jesus Christ? 
And he looked at those who come to him and demand entrance into heaven. He looks at them and Matthew chapter 7 says, depart from me. Why? Because I never knew you. Do you know Jesus Christ? If you have not met him, we'd like to introduce you to him today. You can experience forgiveness of sin through a relationship with Jesus Christ because of what he accomplished for you on the cross. The question is, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? If not, we'd love to talk with you and share with you what God's Word, the Bible, has to say about how you can become a Christian. Now, the vast majority of us in this room, we've already, we've already accepted Christ. We claim to follow Him. We're trying to serve Him as best we can. How are you doing on this rest thing? How are you doing on this rest? Are you still striving? Are you still working as hard as you can? Are you still trying to rack up all the brownie points and get those gold stars so that when you get to heaven, you can show Jesus your report card, look, I made the grade. You owe this to me. No, no, that's not how it works. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, have you learned to rest in Him? Just to spend time with Him for no reason other than because He's good and loves you. He invites us into his rest. It's not a rest once a week. It's a rest every day of the week. And how much more do we enjoy life, enjoy work, enjoy serving him when it is motivated from a position of rest rather than exhaustion and labor? Are you resting in him? Let's pray. Father, so many of us have accepted you in this room and You have called us to a task. But God, you've called us to a task that's motivated out of our relationship, of fellowship, our rest with you. Father, we want to be those who are guided by your eye. Can't see where someone else's eye is looking unless you're looking at them. Father, help us to be so enraptured with you that when your eye moves to a task, we move to it. We go do it. And then we move back to the place of God. Is, I'm just centered in with you. Thank you for the rest that you provide for us in Christ. The rest from labor, the rest from having to do in order to try and be. To do so we can have and maybe be. Father, thank you that in you we can be at rest. Father, for those who have never accepted Jesus as their Savior, would you please speak to each one by your Holy Spirit in terms that we can understand that it's not about being good or bad, it's about Jesus. And Father, if they've never given their life to Jesus, to just pray this simple prayer. Father, I've sinned, and I'm really sorry about that. God, I ask you to please forgive me of my sins. Thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. And now, God, I want to give you my life. I give you my life, and I'll do what you tell me to do. God, please save me. Father, I want to walk in relationship with you. Thank you that you have made the path so easy that all we have to do is enter in by faith in Jesus.
Amen. What an invitation to just rest. Thanks, Sean, for that great song. Amen. Today's his birthday. You're welcome. Hey, I'm, I'm here to help. Um, I don't know if you were here last week, but Mark and Wendy Hashizaki, our missionaries to Japan, are here today. Please be sure and greet them. We're so thankful for the work they're doing in Japan, and we continue to pray that God's blessing will be there and attend with salvations. Amen. If you, if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, please talk with us. If today was the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, let us, let us rejoice with you. We're so thankful. I want you to take this message of rest to Tuesday morning, okay? Let's do this on Thursday afternoon to take just a moment and say, God, right now, now take a deep breath and just rest. We can do it every day of the week, friends. 24 hours a day, God is there. Amen. You guys are a blessing. We speak a blessing on you this week. Be careful. You were firecrackers. I almost blew off my hand one year. Don't do it. You guys are dismissed.